Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Welcome back, everybody. So, we are continuing to study the first chapter of the Megillah. Last week's class gave us the context, the historical background, who was Ahasuerus, and why his kingdom was different than other kingdoms that had preceded his. And then we talked about the fact that Ahasuerus had made a huge feast for his loyalists and for the nobility of the day. And we talked about why he did that, what the inner purpose behind the party was. Today's class picks up at Pasuke, verse 5, and we're going to talk about the next party Ahasuerus made. So Ahasuerus goes from party 1 to party 2. This party is made specifically for the locals. You'll remember that Ahasuerus has relocated the capital of the empire. He moves to a new place called Shush, ancient city of Shush. We call it Shushan in the Megillah. And the Pasuk says, Uvimlo'os hayamim ha'ela, when these days were full. That's 180 days. It's a lot of partying. 180 days of partying finished. There's a discussion amongst our sages whether this was the last seven days of that 180 or this was after 180 days an additional seven days of partying. At any rate, there had already been a, a great deal of merriment and entertainment. When those days finished, the king then made for the whole nation, who found themselves, presumably the residents, the people who lived, in the municipality of his new capital city, Shushan Habira, who was invited to this party? Everybody, from the oldest, which could also mean most prominent, to the youngest, which girls can mean least prominent. Katon can be understood in various ways, small and small, big and big. The point is the full range, the whole gamut. Everybody was invited. Mishte Shivat Yamim, a feast of seven days. Where was this feast held? Bechatzar Ginat Bitan HaMelech, in the courtyard of the king's royal compound. So there's a number of things that have to be understood. We really need to understand why is it that this party comes on the heels of the other party? Why is it when this party is finished? That's when all of a sudden we're going to see another party unfolding. What's the difference between the first party and the second party? And what is the intention of Ahasuerus? Another question we could ask ourselves is where, where exactly was this party? We're given a new location. The first party's location is not talked about doesn't say, just says uh, on the third year of his reign, he invited everybody, made a feast, and he showed all of his opulence, all of his power, all of his glory was displayed for these 180 days. Here we make an emphasis on talking about where the party took place. So first let's, let's come with Pshat. Rashi says, Ginas, a garden, Makom Zerone Yirakot, that's a place where greenery grows. So the first party, we would say, presumably, was in a ballroom, where any party typically is. This party was an outdoor party, a place where things grow. What is a bitan, or bisan? That means natua bi'ilanot. That means there's trees that are planted there as well. In the, in the um, commentary 
of the Ibn Ezra, he says that a bisan is migzerat bayit. It comes from the root word of home. And therefore, it's not exactly the outdoors, but rather it's like a, a courtyard which is part of the compound. So you could, sometimes you have trees over there, it's like some kind of gazebo, an area which is an adjunct to the actual palace building, but yet there are trees that are growing over there. The Mepharshim, when they talk about the, this, this party and where it took place, there's a question if it was, if we're going back, forget the Mepharshim, let's talk first in the Gemara Megillah. The Gemara Megillah questions whether this was an inner courtyard. Sometimes courtyards, palaces are built kind of like in a square or a circle, and it's an inner courtyard with his botanical gardens. Or whether this was in the gardens that surrounded the actual palace, and then you came closer to the palace, and then you entered into Bitan, you entered into the, the, more, the home area of, of the palace. The Gemara says that uh, Ahasuerus had the opportunity to put up uh, curtains or drapery and partitions, and so he was able to make part of the garden look like outdoors, or he was able to create kind of like a, uh, like a tent, almost like a very private setting. In, uh, in modern Hebrew, Beitan means a pavilion, like when you have like a big exhibition and each country yeah. has their own thing. I, I, I'm going to tell you that modern Hebrew and biblical Hebrew always sound the same, but they don't necessarily mean the same things. Uh, modern Hebrew is Ben Yehuda's use of ancient words, in a modern context. So Ben Yehuda had a word called pavilion. He needed to find a word that matches pavilion. And he was a brilliant man. So in his analysis of the scripture, he came across the word bitan. And he looked in the commentaries. And the commentaries talked to us about something that's outdoor, but yet something that's indoor. He said, okay, this is going to be the Hebrew for pavilion. The most outstanding example of modern Hebrew and its distinction from the Torah's Hebrew, from biblical Hebrew, is, at least in my mind, this always comes to mind, is that when Yaakov Avinu sends his sons to see the viceroy, the evil viceroy who's tormenting them in the land of Egypt, so he tells them, you should take botnim. <laughs> now, you know what botnim are. Peanuts. That's a great way. To, if you have, a, if you have <laughs> an evil king, this is a great way to, to curry favor, bring him peanuts. <laughs> so Rashi says, it means uh, pistachio nuts or apricots. Either one is very far from peanuts. My point only that even Rashi wasn't aware. In Rashi's time, they weren't sure what the word meant. It meant something. It meant something exotic. You could be absolutely certain it didn't mean peanuts. So, Abita, my understanding from reading the different Mepharshim, that this was kind of a, a, an enchanting place. There's a commentary called Targum Sheni, which is, which is an Aramaic. The, the original Targum on the Megillah in all likelihood, it is the Targum Yerushalmi, the three Targumim. The scripture was translated into Aramaic three times. Unculus is the primary translator of the Chumash and certain parts of the scripture. The Targum on the Megillah, we don't know, where. it doesn't say where it's from. Most opinions are that it is not the Targum of Unculus. It was a convert to Judaism. His original name was Achilles. He was a nephew of the Roman Caesar Nero. The other was Yonatan ben Uziel, who was the most outstanding disciple of Hillel about whom it is written that when he would study Torah, he would generate such heat and such energy that even a bird would get scorched if he flew over him. And it says he's the Godel HaTalmidim, the greatest of Talmidim. And then we have the Targum Yerushalmi. 
So the the presume the presumption is that the targum on the Megillah is the targum Yerushalmi, and then there's a targum Sheni that was written at a later period, probably towards the end of the Talmudic period or beginning of the Gaonic period, and it incorporates an enormous amount of midrashic interpretation. And then somebody thankfully translated that into Hebrew, which makes life easier. It's called Paschegen Haksav, which is also a permutation of the Megillah's verbiage. So in the, in the Paschegen, he says like this. He made a party. Brought them to, he brought them into this garden, this home garden. What does it mean? He says, That you had over there fragrant greenery, and you had also fruit, fruit trees. What did he do? Ma'asa. So the Pasdragon says, Kofaf eats eights. He bound the trees together on the top. He made what, what used to be in those days like a bridal chamber, it was called. They would have these flowers, these, these kind of like, 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 like almost like a flower enclosure, a, a, a natural enclosure. And that's where people used to get married. That was like the chuppah once upon a time. And then he, he cut other kinds of fragrant wood, and, and he kind of put this all together. Which, which my understanding of it, the more I've read about this, is that he basically created an enchanting wonderland. The people walked in, they were just amazed by what they saw. It's kind of this uh, outdoors, beautiful botanical gardens, fabulous aroma, there were trees, it was natural, yet it was so opulent and it was so, it was so luxurious, as we're going to see. The Megillah now is going to describe all of the different materials that he used to make the setting seem so opulent, so luxurious, so, so enchanting for the people. Now, the bigger question we're going to ask and try to explain today is, what was it with Ahasuerus that he spent so much energy and he expended so much money on creating this enchanting reality for the locals? These are not the nobility. These are not the powerful people whom he has to bring over to his side or keep happy. These are local people. And not the prominent local people. He didn't invite the municipal government. From the most prominent members of, of Shushan, the most prominent citizens of the municipality, down to the lowest people. What, what was it? Why, of course, does Megillah tell this to us? What, 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 what is going on here? This is the kind of pasuk, the kind of verse in the Torah, which demands a second look. You know, sometimes you get an email, but you don't have time to deal with it, so you flag it, and you know you have to have to go back to this one. This pasuk has a little flag. <laughs> it's like, look again. There's something more than meets the eye than just simply a description of opulence or a wonderful party. And, and take a look. You see how we, how it continues. Chur karpas usecheles. The the Megillah says that there were hangings of all different kinds of extraordinarily beautiful materials. Chur, we're going to explain, is like white, and karpas is green, which you know of karpas from your Seder plate, which is a green vegetable. <laughs> and tcheles is purple, a royal, a royal color. Achuz b'chav levutz. So all of these hangings were held by cords of linen. Butz is linen. We know the Kohen Gadol's clothes of, of Yom Kippur are called butz in the Mishnah. So we know that that's linen. Vargoman. Argoman is... Uh, also a royal uh, a purple wool. So you had this beautiful hangings that was held by, even the, the things that held the hangings were very, very extraordinarily luxurious and beautiful. Aglile chesef, 
va'amudei sheish. This was on 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 um, silver rods, along with pillars made of marble. So try to picture this in your head, like you're coming to this this wonderland. <laughs> this is like this garden that people have never seen anything like this. They walk in, and this it's the smells are unbelievable. I'm imagining there was birds that are making nice some nice noise too. We'll talk about whether it was music or not. There's very interesting commentary by the Ramosha Alshech about the fact that the Megillah does not mention any kind of musical entertainment. We're going to talk about the setting, the, 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 the opulence, the, talk about the, the way the room was dressed up. We're going to talk about how they drank, talk about how they ate, but we don't talk about any music. What happened, what happened to music at a party? So We'll come back to that. So this is, this is the, the, the kind of way that Ahasuerus decorated this for these local people. Mitot zahav v'chesef, beds or couches of gold and silver, al ritzpat bahat v'sheish v'dar v'sochoros. On a floor, he laid a special floor down. So he had used all kinds of precious metals, uh, precious stones, pardon me, of, of marble and alabaster to make this, this beautiful floor. Okay, so he dealt with the floor. The floor looks unbelievable. There's little, these, these small little couches or places to sit which are made of, of, of the most precious materials. He's got hangings all over and beautiful trees. And this is what he invites the locals to. So that's the setting. That's the decor. What happened at this party? The hashkot b'chleizohov. To drink, everything was, was, was gold. The kelim mikelim shonim, all kinds of different utensils. The Yain Malchus, what was the beverage of choice? Royal wine. Rov Kiad HaMelech. Great multitude of it. Very plentiful, like the hand of the king. In other words, there's no, no, no limits. Let's take a look first at what Rashi says about, in Pasuk Vav, about Chur Karpasus Chelis. Rashi says, Mine Begodim Tzivainim, this is garments that were dyed. Piros Lehem Lumatzois. He spread these out as kind of hangings. So that means there were probably hangings on the walls or on the trees. In a way, you know, modern decor. You, know, you come to a beautiful wedding and the place is decked out. And sometimes you walk into the room at one of these uh, weddings where people have really gone to the nth degree and it takes your breath away. It's like, wow. It's amazing. It's beautiful. This is the kind of sense that they had. Only this is all done outdoors. Ochuz bechav held together by cords of linen and, and royal purple. Rashi says, They actually were embroidered with linen and, and, and this royal purple. That was what was spread over silver rods and amude sheish. So probably they were, from Rashi's perspective, it sounds like they were pillars of marble set up. There were silver rods on top. And you had this beautiful cloth that was draped all along the top of it. You could, you could visualize this. I mean, this is, this is like a, one of those unbelievable half a million dollar weddings. You know, like one of these celebrity weddings that's, you just, you just can't believe what you're seeing. That's, that's the way he decorated the garden for this party. Mitotzov v'chesef, beds or couches of, of gold and of silver. Rashi says, Orach, he arranged, Leshev Alehem to sit on them, Lisauda. So you weren't, you didn't come into a meal where there was a table, sat down at the table, you ate your meal and you went home. This was one of these parties where the food continued. You want to sit and eat, you sit and eat. You want to walk around the drink, you walk around the drink. 
And there were all kinds of other things going on too. The Alshech tells us, quoting the Medrash, that there was all kinds of adult entertainment available. So this was actually a male party. We're going to read about the next party, Vashti, his wife, makes a competing party for the females. But the Medrash says there were females at this party. Only they were not the invited guests. They were there to provide entertainment. And we'll leave it at that. That's, that's what was going on here. The alcohol is flowing, and the floor, the floor, Rashi says, Karkois shall bahat vashesh. Mini avanim tovot, these are all kinds, a whole assortment, an array of precious stones. Our, our, our sages explain in the Gemara Megillah. hamikra, the way the Pasuk sounds, this is the names of the different kinds of stones, the different precious stones. He laid the floor with precious stone. Doesn't, I mean, it wasn't always there. This was especially for the party. He had laid, laid a new floor. So people are, 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 are even walking on things which are just extraordinary. Ibn Ezra says, talking about the, the, um, the decor in the room, he says, that was galgalim hoyu bein amud la amud. There were silver rods between pillar to pillar. And he says, some of the rod was mechusim bin iskarim, was covered over with these drapes. And you know how it goes. Like, you know, so, so you did not see the silver. You saw the silver also. You see the silver, you see the drapery, and you see the marble. I'm sure the marble wasn't just a plain pillar. It was also, you know, decorated. Look, 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 very impressive looking. Ritzpat, even as it says, was like martsefet avonim. Vehem yetziah momata. He says, this is like in a pattern, laid out like tiles almost along the ground where the people walked. So now this is the decor. And then what was the entertainment? Vahashkot, Bechlizov, they were drinking in, 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 in gold vessels and all kinds of, a whole assortment of vessels. And, 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 and the wine flows freely, Kiyad HaMelech. Rashi says, what is the meaning of Vihashkot? So he says, Vihashkot, in order to drink. So the opportunity was there. There were all sorts of drinking possibilities that were available to the attending guests. Shonim means mishunim zemizeh. There were one was different from the other. So some people like to drink their wine in a large glass. Some people like a small glass. The, one of the midrashim say that it wasn't actually gold because it's no fun to drink in gold. It was crystal that shone like gold. So it was a, it was a whole assortment and the, and the Pashtagan even says that they didn't reuse the same cup. They were like beautiful cups but you drank it once, and right away the waiters came and took it away. And this was constantly going on. It must have been an army of waiters. By the way, we're going to read in the Medrash later, there was over 18,000 Jews alone who attended this party. The Jews were not, it wasn't the Jewish city, Shushan. You have to imagine, there may have been 100,000 people at this party. I mean, this was a <laughs> party to end all parties. An unbelievable event that the world must have talked about. You talk about, uh, you know, in the United States, these inaugural balls. So first of all, this happened three years later, which is, which is strange. But inaugural ball, where they blow their brains out and spend, I don't know how many million dollars when the economy is collapsing. I haven't figured that part out. But anyway, when, when they do that, it's for four years. It's for four years. They just did it again with the same guy anyway. Like, well, what's the point? Why do you have to blow your brains out and spend all that money? I have no idea. But they, had, they have thousands of people attending a whole series of different balls. And the president and the first lady come and they, they dance at each place or, or speak at each place and they attend. This, this guy was king for life. He's going to be king for decades. 
So, so first he makes a party for 180 days, and now he has a local party where the people are being brought into the most enchanting environment, and they're being fed and given to drink in the most unbelievable way. Now Rashi does say, it's not pshuto shal mikra, it's not the literal meaning, but there's something about these vessels. And what our, our sages tell us that these vessels were actually vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. He used vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. Now Achashver is a very calculated guy. So the Medrash tells us that Belshazzar, who is the father of Vashti, who was killed by the Medes, who took away the... the uh, kingdom from the Babylonians, Belshazzar's Nebuchadnezzar's son, he used the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash and he was killed. Now, Achashverosh very much wanted to use the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash, but he was afraid of the Jews. So he was waiting until, according to his calculation, the 70 years and they were supposed to go back to Israel and finish. And once that happens, now we said, now I have nothing to worry about. Now my kingdom will be un- unchallenged and I have nothing to be concerned with about the Jews. I can use the kalim. We'll soon see he gets much more than that. So this is, this is, um, this is, this, this is what, what the, the Medrash Rabbah tells us. Now what does it mean, Yain Malchut Rav? Rav? So Yain Malchut Rav, the Megillah says that everybody received wine which was according to their years of life. So they would come and say, how old are you? The person would say 40. So he, you get the vintage 41-year-old wine. And they had wine for everybody. Everybody had their own special wine. I'm going to presume also they had probably had different kinds of wine. But and, and, can, can you imagine this? <laughs> Seven days of wine that cost thousands of dollars a bottle. And everybody's getting their own wine, exactly what, what fits them, so to speak. And it's your call. Nobody's forcing you to drink anything, as we're soon going to see. So Rashi says, Yein Malchus Rav, Harbe. He says the word Rav means Harbe. It just means a lot, first, first and foremost. But he says, Rabbi Seino Amr, our sages do tell us, Shehishka otan kol echad vi echad yayin, shehuzakin mimeno. Rav means more than you. That means, yeah. how old are you? Oh, you're 50? Here's wine that's 51 years old. That was, that was the gimmick. That was the trick of, 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 of the party. Everybody got wine that was older than them, beyond them. That's not, you know, the Pshuta Shalmikar Rav means a lot, a lot of wine, but Rashi says that the fact that the Megillah has to emphasize that, Yain Malchut Rav, instead of just a lot of wine, is to tell you how this wine was, was given out and distributed. The next Pasuk says, the Hashtia and the drinking, Kados, was in accordance with the rules, drinking etiquette, Ain't honest, but nobody was being forced. This is how the king had arranged it. I'll call Rav Beito on all of those who were in charge of this party. That each and every person should be individually catered to. So he really wanted to win these people over. You see clearly, this is a very, very carefully choreographed event where they're doing everything to please everybody. Rashi says, what does it mean, kados? Kados literally means by law. He says, there are meals, our feasts, everybody has to drink a certain amount. Everybody's got to drink this big cup. Even today, 
I don't know whether it's fraternities or certain parties. It's like everybody's expected to, okay, now your turn. Everybody stands and chairs or laughs, and you've got to finish that thing. And everybody has, that's like your entrance. That's, that's where, we, we be, where it begins from. And then, Rashi says, you know what happens? And some, sometimes people, people can't do it. And they're like forced. They say, come on, let's go. You've got to drink it. Everybody's got to drink it. Here, Avalkan, ain't on us. Nobody's being forced. It's as you wish. As you wish. Kichen yisad. What is yisad? Rashi says, Lashon yisod. This means foundational. Kalomar kain tikin v'tziva. This is how Achashverosh had commanded. He gave very careful instructions over here. What kind of vessels to bring, what kind of wine to serve, and that it shouldn't be forced upon anybody. Everybody should get drunk on their own accord without being forced into it. Rash, the Ibn Ezra says that kadas means kichok, like a statute. Right, or, or social expectation. But he says there's no onus. What does that mean? Machriach. Nobody forced you. Who is Rav Beito? Rashi says it means kolsari hasuda. It means, what, what does ministers of his home have to do with a meal? The minister of defense is going to be serving uh, lunch? <laughs> what does it mean Rav Beito? Rashi says it means sari hasuda. And he, this is the Hint at what was being fed also. Sarah Ophim, there was the one who was in charge of all the baked goods, all the carbs. Sarah Tabachim, the person in charge of all the meats. He took care of all the, the proteins. And then there was Sarah Mashkim. And then there was a the person in charge of all the alcohol being served. So everybody was told that everybody should be served as they please, but nobody should be forced into anything. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is going on over here? Why? Is Achashverosh doing all of this? What is behind all of this? So I want to take you to take a look at the Malbim. And then we're going to see how the Orachayim explains what happened over here. But I want to do it in this order. You'll see, you'll see in a moment. So the Malbim asks, he says, what, what is going on over here? Who needed this party? What was the point of this party? There's so many extra words here in the Psukim. We, 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 we could delete almost 25% of these words and you'd be able to say the same thing. It's very wordy. It says, it says over here that he made them a party. Okay, so he explained all the details in the party. Fine, fine. What's the point of verse 7? There was a lot of wine, so why would you just say that? Vahashkot, yayin rav if it's the Yain Malchut, royal wine, Kiyada Melech. If it's Yain Rav, Kiyada Melech, then obviously it's royal. Why would he need all these, the, 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 the silver and the gold and the different vessels? What point is it? The drinking was in standard expectation, the social norms, but ain't on us. Nobody's being forced. The king had nothing better to do with himself? They give instructions to the waiters? Talk about the mighty, it's the strongest, most powerful man in the world today. Is the uncontested ruler of that of 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 the, what we're going to call at least the Western world, the Eastern world. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what was going on in China at the time, and I don't think that Achashverosh <laughs> held sway there. But the equivalent of the Western world today, he is the man. He gets involved in the details of serving, telling how to serve. What difference does it make? Why does the Megillah have to record that? Why does the Megillah have to tell us about it? These are these are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. So, 
The Malbim says like this. He says, let's, let's continue what we started explaining last time, that Ahasuerus is, is a very, very wily fellow. He's very clever. In as much as he's fickle and foolish, but he's very clever. And everything is choreographed. He's sending a message. There's these subtle, subliminal messages that are being broadcast. The message he sends now to all of the nobility who had just whined and dined for 180 days is that the truth is you're all the same to me. From the highest to the lowest, I'm the great equalizer. Everybody in my eyes is on the same standing. Godel, cotton, everybody's being taken care of. So that's the point of this party was to make sure that the nobility didn't feel too important. That, that was Ahasuerus' system. That was his, his intention here. What's l'chol ha'om hanim tsaim? All of the nation who found themselves. What does that mean? So Rashi says that's because that's not part. But Malbim says, pardon me, that's based on what he said earlier. That he explained the different methods of governance and how the king of Ahasuerus and his royalty is like he's an usurper. He's a dictator. He's a, he's a monarch who establishes his own kingdom rather than fit himself into and inherited a previously, a previously established kingdom. So he moved to a new city. They were there before. He's the one who moved in on them. And, and therefore, he says now, the, he's, the locals who he's moved in on, he's inviting in. The botanical gardens, says the Malbum, traditionally was a place where public, the public never went. Interestingly, there was, um, there were, most royal homes have had royal gardens. Uh, Emperor Franz Joseph of the Austrian Empire had a royal garden. Only ministers were permitted to go over there. And there are interesting stories about that. People managed to get into the garden. Uh, the Tsar had a special garden, a royal garden, where only the highest ministers of the land were ever able to go into these botanical gardens. Ahasuerus opened this very, very exclusive area where only nobility had ever been, he said, everybody coming in. Migodovat cotton. This is all part of his choreographed destruction of the echelons of society. Because once he destroyed the echelons of society and those who were bigger and smaller, then he would have everybody under his thumb. And then he would be an absolute ruler. That's the reason he made it in, 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 in the garden, in the botanical gardens. And the Malbim says further that he made little tents over there and he made all these beautiful little things so people could have their own individual sense of they could enjoy themselves, they could duck out for a minute, uh, they, could, they could sit down in these, these, these uh, couches, these chairs, they could rest, they could enjoy. All of this was, you know, in, in one word, enchanting. He's enchanting, he made an enchanting and intoxicating setting. All kinds of, of different cups, all kinds of, 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 of different uh, ways to drink. This was all a way of getting people to drink. Some people see a big cup, they're like overwhelmed. That's too big for me. Oh, sure, here's a little cup. It was a, it was a psychological way of getting people to drink by providing them with every opportunity. Oh, little drink. I, I can have a little drink. Oh, yeah, I'll have a little drink. Some other people wouldn't take little drinks. It's like, oh, if you have a big drink, no problem. Catering to each and every one, trying to enchant each and every one, trying to get each and every one into the mood, into what was going on. The Malbim says further that uh, in, in many parties, especially parties like this, everybody, the, the people were forced to drink a certain amount. And that was actually the, the, the case in, in, in the ancient world, that people would be compelled 
if they want to be part of this party, they had this big special cup and everybody had to ha have a chance at it. Here, the point, pointedly, nobody had to drink, nobody was forced into anything. That's how the king had arranged it, very, very carefully, that everybody's wishes should be respected and honored. Okay, so at this point now, we're really, what, what, why? What is going on over here? Comes the Orachayim, and he says, you need to understand that all of this is, is devious. Achashverosh is a devious fellow. And guess who his target really was? Guess what he was really after? The Jews. That's what Arachayim says. He says, let's start from the top. What do you mean the nation, Hanim Tsaim B'Shushan, who found themselves in Shushan? What's the point? Why don't you say just to the people of Shushan? So he says that you should know that this party of seven days was made pointedly of seven days so that it should include the day of Shabbat. And he knew that the Jewish people would not be comfortable with this party and he needed to find a way to draw them in. Why did he want to draw them in? Achashverosh was certain that if he could get the Jewish people to sin and do things which would enrage God, that they would remain in Galut forever. He wanted to phase the Jewish people out of existence. This is not the anti-Semitism of, of uh, the traditional European anti-Semitism. This is more like the Napoleonic kind of anti-Semitism in a devious way. You know, Napoleon wanted to reconstitute the Sanhedrin and then to make himself the head of the Sanhedrin. <laughs> he, had, he minted a coin of, of um, Moses bowing to him. And, and it was extremely devious. He, was, he, was, he wanted to emancipate the Jews. But his ultimate goal was to secularize the Jews and to assimilate the Jews. That was the Achashverosh. Achashverosh is not, a, it's not an, an ugly anti-Semite with fangs. It's not, a, it's not a Hitler. Haman is a Hitler. He didn't want to destroy, kill all the Jews, put them in, in, in Auschwitz and then slaughter them. He wanted the Jews to be loved out of existence. He wanted to welcome them into his royal environment. He wanted them all to sin and then become comfortable with sin. And in doing so, then he believed that they would never go back to Eretz Yisrael and Israel would never rise again. And then his empire would be cemented. That was his great fear because he believed that what destroyed Belshazzar was the use of the, of the, of the temple, the temple uh, artifacts. And this is the reason now we understand why he created such an enchanting environment, such a conducive environment, such an intoxicating environment that draws the people in. Very smart guy. He says, if I force the Jews to eat non-kosher food, if I force them to drink non-kosher wine, that's not really a sin. They were forced into it. So I need to create a set of circumstances in which they will do this by their own free volition. They will choose to do it. That, says the Orachayim, was the whole purpose of this party. Everything was designed around the 18,000 Jews. So he invited everyone, let me go to Vat Cotton, but the real purpose was getting my Jews in here. And once I get the Jews, the Shushan apparently was a very prominent city filled with Jews. The great Rebbe of the Jews, Mordechai, lived in Shushan. Once I can get the Jews in, and once I can intoxicate them and get them, and nobody's going to be forced. Nobody's forced. You want kosher wine? Have kosher wine. You want kosher food? There's kosher food. Nobody's going to be forced. He was very careful. He said to them, don't even, he said even to the chamberlains, to the waiters, don't compel anybody. Don't put any pressure on anybody. Because if you put pressure, then it's not a sin. But he said, if they choose on their own, because so much, it's all available, and they'll feel uncomfortable, or they'll want to be like everybody else, then it's their sin, and then the Jewish people 
will be under my sway forever. This is Ahasuerus wanted. Lazen is Yayat says the Arachayim in the Rishon Litzian commentary. That's why also Mishta Gadol v'Yikara Erech. He made this incredibly luxurious and expensive party, and he made it in his beautiful botanical gardens. And he said, make sure that the Jews are not forced to be there. It's going to be there prepared, but they're not forced. Ein lecha onus gadol He says, if you're going to force them to come, the king compels them to come. Then then they, they, they have the excuse; they were forced into it. Prepare a meal with everything they could possibly imagine. And then he says, they will become sucked into it, and before they know it, they're going to be doing all of these sins. And that's why uh, the Al-Sheikh adds that all of these, the prostitution that was going on over there, all the entertainment that was provided, it came along naturally. So first they started drinking wine, and drinking the, non- the kosher wine, and went to the non-kosher wine, and they got intoxicated, and they started eating food, and one food went to the other food, and then you know how the, you know, they had these little, these little uh, areas, private little areas, and there was a, a, an orgy that started to develop. You can already imagine yourself what happened at this party that lasted for a week long. The Jews who went into that party were not the same when they left the party. Their spirituality had been totally torn away from them. But it wasn't done by them. That was something that had happened because of the way Achashverosh set things up. They made the choice themselves. They weren't forced into it. And this is why he waited the whole full 180 days. He said the Jewish people heard that the Ahasuerus' party, they were using the Kalim of the Beis Migdash, and they felt bad. They were very uncomfortable. Some of them mourned and weeped. They felt that this was a, a personal insult and an offense. So now the king invited them to curry favor with them in order to, to bring them into this, this, uh, the, this state of sin. So how do we know this? Who did Ahasuerus tell this to? So the Arachayim says you should know that he never told it to Esther. Mordechai never heard about it formally. Baruach HaKodesh Nezgalatamo. When they wrote the Megillah, post ipso facto, then they understood everything. They had 20-20 spiritual vision in hindsight. And they understood Ahasuerus' true reason and true cause after the fact. And that's why it says, L'chol Ha'am. Who's L'chol Ha'am? L'chol Ha'am is Ha'am Hayadua, the known nation. Who is the known nation? the nation of Israel. They find themselves in Shushan. They're not really Shushanites because Jewish people are never really the locals. We're never really indigenous. Where are we really from? We're really from Eretz Yisrael. And it was he said, make sure nobody's excluded. This is multicultural. Everybody's invited. No culture should feel as if it is a second class or is demeaned. And in that kind of way, the Jewish people would say, well, everybody's coming. We're not going to come. How could we do that? Why did they go? Just look around at the world today. You get invited, it's royal feast, and everybody's going. <coughs> the Jews are going to be the ones who don't go. And anyway, there's a mashgir there. They're having kosher food. What's the problem? It's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to have the Jews assimilate themselves out of existence. That really was what went on here with the party. The al had some interesting salient points to, to, to this whole notion. Ashkech actually lived before the Arachayim, but anyway. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not presenting the commentaries in order, historically per se, but each, each, each detail that, that uh, the sages gave us helps us appreciate more of what really went on over here, of what was, what was unfolding right in the beginning of the story of Purim.
the, the Alshech says, for example, why do we give the details of Chul, Karpas, the, the, diff, the different kinds of, of drapery, the colors of the drapery, how the drapery was, was, was set out. He says you should know that people in general have four senses. Right? We know that. Okay. So you have the sense of smell, and there are certain smells which they, they, they kind of they lead us on. They draw us in. He says the intoxicating smell of a botanical gardens. This aroma, aromatic bark, and beautiful trees, and flowers, and herbs. So the first thing he did was created an intoxicating aroma. That was a beautiful smell. The next thing is the chosharia, what the eye sees. So he didn't want the people to look heavenward, it says. He says he wanted to keep their eyes on the floor. Keep your eyes right down here. And what did he do? He put beautiful flagstone, precious. Is if you read the scripture carefully, some of the commentary, it sounds like there was gold with silver on top on the couches. He said he put the most precious things on the bottom to keep everybody's eyes focused down. Right here. Don't get spiritual on me. Don't get contemplative. Don't pick your eyes up and say, what am I doing over here? So it was all about catching the eye. First of all, he caught them by smell, these intoxicating aromas, and then there was this, this beautiful smell. A beautiful visions, pardon me. They saw beautiful things. He says he specifically didn't have music because the music that one person finds enchanting, somebody else can find either boring or it could even be uh, annoying. You have to have your, your taste of music. Not everybody reacts to music the same way. He says aromas generally work. Everybody likes to be. An enchanting outdoor area is beautiful. You can make a person, this one likes uh, white, says so white. The other one likes green, so it's green. You may have preference in color, but a beautifully decorated room, everybody admits a beautifully decorated room. Music, not always the same. There are people who love classical music, and people who hate classical music. People who love rock and roll, people who absolutely hate it. So he made sure to avoid that. And also he said if there would be music, the people could get caught up in the music. Those who love music understand what that means. And they wouldn't bother eating. They wouldn't bother going into more carnal pleasure. But that's not what he wanted. Getting them to listen to you know, some non-Jewish music was not the goal. That was not the point. So therefore, he made sure to have an enchanting setting, beautiful aroma, pleasing to the eye, and then he wanted them to, they had the, 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 the beautiful things to sit down on, sense of touch, you know, and, and it was all about food. It's all about taste. And from there, he brought them. Once they were in that state, then already, he says, you had, you had thousands, he says, tens of thousands of people who were invited to this party. And everybody was be treated so specially, so beautifully, so, so courteously, so respectfully. Nobody felt that he was more or less. Everybody was treated the same. You know, you walked in, and there was probably three waiters who bowed in front of you. What can I bring you? Can you? Would you like to eat something? Would you like some bread? Would you like some pastries? And somebody else came, and he brought wine with all the beautiful different cups. One of the midrashim says the different cups were actually arranged. Each, each, each decanter of wine had different cups arranged all around it. So you could take a choice of how you want to drink your wine. And then there was the, you know, the, the exotic proteins, the meats and, 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 and that, he was, that he was serving. And all of this, he says, was just to, the focus was on the 18 and a half thousand Jews who were going to come there. And the goal, he says, was to get them to sin. But they should make the decision by themselves. And he says, and, and the background of all this was the scantily clad um, ladies who were there with the specific purpose of seducing the, the men and especially the Jews.
because he knew from the story of Meshe Rabbeinu that God hates promiscuity, so he wanted to make sure that they would sin promiscuously. And they were there for a week. And this is the surroundings they were in for a week. Many, many, many of them fell. Many of them sinned. That is the story. That is the real story of the party of Ahasuerus. Now we understand why we have the first party for 180 days is, not, is barely described. The second party is what gets all the attention. That's the point. That's what sets the stage for the Gezeda of Haman against the Jewish people. We talked about uh, the, the wine already, the way he gave the wine. Now, Al-Sheikh talks more about this idea of how nobody was forced, and he gives us all kinds of salient details as to how the wine was served and, and how everything was presented in order to get the people to sin in the, in the, in the, in the worst possible way. So just very briefly now, a little bit of insight that, uh, that the Rebbe shared with us on the Megillah, on, the, on these verses of Megillah. So first of all, what's the emphasis? It's legal, there's like requirements by law, but ain't known as nobody's being forced. And why was there a special commandment to the king himself that said everybody has to be given legal amounts, you know, the, 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 according to the etiquette, but nobody should be forced. So he says, this meal, this meal that was given was, was this, this, the second meal, which was second feast, really, which was for l'chol ha'om hanim tzoyim b'shushan, was not to display the king's might. He was not trying to impress anybody. That was the first feast. This feast was done specifically in a way to get the people involved. That's, that, that's the huge emphasis. You see the, the way the, the verses are structured in the beginning. It's laharot, it's to demonstrate, to show. Here, it's all about how do we get the people to do what I want them to do to get them to, to participate rather than for Ahasuerus to demonstrate. So it's a, it's a totally different focus. Rashi told us that that that's what the king had established on all of Kol Rav, all the, 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 the people who were responsible for his home. So Rashi says that we includes over here the chief of baking, all baked goods, the chief of all the, all the meats, all the proteins, as well as, as the one who is responsible for the alcoholic beverages. But I've asked, what forces Rashi to say this? Why couldn't he just say it? This is talking about the wine. So the answer is, the words are Al Kol Rav Beto. He didn't say Vashtiach Hadas, Einones, Kichen Yisad HaMelech. What's Chen Yisad Al-Kol Rav? All the people were in charge. You already said that they weren't forced to drink the wine. So that means they weren't forced to eat the food either. And there was even kosher food. Like the Medrash tells us, Kiritzon Ish Ve'ish, Kiritzon Mordechai, Kiritzon Haman. You wanted to eat non-kosher, was available. You want to eat kosher food, glad kosher, that's also available. Nobody forced into anything. And that's why Rashi says the words Al-Kol Rav Beto, the, the primary, the primary um, currency of this party was alcoholic beverage. But there was also uh, all the other things that come along with it as well. Achashverosh wanted them to drink wine, which is Yain Nesach, which is a grave sin, but he wanted them also to eat an kosher food as well. And that's the Korav Beso, the focus that begins to talk about the wine, but Rashi's telling us that actually includes all of 
the other sins, all the other things as well. No, the wine there was kosher wine also. But it was, you know, peer pressure and you felt uncomfortable and they were offering you, so you drank a little, drank a little more, and then you know you don't want to be different. Everybody's having a good time. So the people sank into sin during the course of this week long party. That's how that's how Ahashverosh seduced the Jewish people to behave in a sinful manner, to the point that, as the Medrash says, some of them even used vessels of the Beit HaMikdash, which is ultimate sacrilege for a Jew. It's like using a Torah scroll to sit on. But it was a process, and they got so intoxicated and so drawn in that ultimately everybody started to, to, uh, to do exactly what Ahashverosh had planned for them to do. And this is uh, not just a story of once upon a time. If you really think about it, and the parallels in our life, in today's day and age, are really overwhelming. So next week we'll continue with the party of Vashti, how Vashti, how and why she made a party, and then the battle of wits between Vashti and the king Achashverosh, which has a disastrous, at least for Vashti and Achashverosh, consequence.